Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Two Indie Authors podcast with me, Robert Enright. And me, David B. Lyons. Uh, on today's show, we will be joined by the king of the cover, Stuart Beish, who has kindly mm. given up some of his time to speak with us about the fundamental requirements of a book cover this week. Uh, Rob, that should be really interesting. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I can't wait for this. Yeah, he's, got, he's going to be a great subject. Um, it's a great subject to talk about, and he is the ideal subject uh, to talk this subject with. Um, our mailbag question in the middle of the show uh, will test Rob and I on our brief experiences of being wide authors. And mm-hmm. that's all before DG Palmer joins us to face our now famous seven questions. A mm-hmm. fun-packed show today, uh, Robert. It's been a while, it's been a couple of weeks since we last recorded because Mm -hmm. uh, we've both been on holiday. So when we discuss the week that was, as we will do now, I mean, there's not much work being done, has there, between the two of us? No, I was on holiday. I was, I was, I say sunning it up in Menorca. We had a bit of a um, 50-50 weather. Um, Ah. We were right by the sea as well. So like you had a bit of a breeze and so there was a bit of a wind. So when the sun wasn't out, it could be a bit cold. And then obviously mm-hmm. my three-year-old was like, Daddy, let's go in the pool. And I'm like, oh, oh God, it's so cold. <laughs> um, but I got in anyway. So it was, it was a lot of fun splashing around in the swimming pool with my my child for most of the week. And then um, Great. the storm that was predicted kind of just pushed on. So we had like a couple of days of glorious, glorious weather. Um, nice. So, um, so that, I mean, that's basically been my week. A couple of book bits. Um audio book for book 10 for out of reach that that was released this this nice. past week which is good i've already seen a few downloads of that um because obviously they come out obviously a bit later than the ebooks because i have to finish writing the book before they can go into publication so there's always a delay yeah. on the audio book um and and the the book i released just before i went on holiday days gone by um that's still number one in a oh, hot nice. new release in one of it in in one of its categories it's nearly Maintaining three weeks. that orange tag. Mm, well, you don't get an orange tag for hot new release anymore. I've realised. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, you used to get, you used to get, um, but now you only get if you're number one in there. So it's like around number ten in its categories, in which its is still categories. really good. But yeah. In the hot new release, it's still number one, nearly three weeks in, which is, which is good. Um, yeah. David, I'm going to ask you how your holiday was, and then I do have a couple of pieces of book related news that I thought we could quickly touch upon. So, before we go into those boring things. How was your holiday? It, it was also weather affected. So we did a lot of rain in Paris while we were there. So we were walking through uh, Disneyland with fucking <laughs> ponchos on and dancing around to songs from Frozen and stuff like that. But um, Lola is seven now. She just turned seven. So it was the ideal age to sort of bring mm. her and give her that experience. Uh, and we just had a ball. Yeah, uh, mem- memories forever, there, I think, it? just uh, dancing around Disneyland. Yeah, it's it's well they call it the happiest place in the world. Uh, uh, what we tried to do was book a holiday where it will be half adult, half child friendly. So a, a few, a couple of days in Paris, 
around near the Eiffel Tower and the Arc de Triomphe and all the, this beauty that Paris has to offer and a few days in Disneyland. But it didn't really work out like that because we had a <laughs> seven-year-old in tow at all times. So even the romantic notion of walking up the Seine and climbing the tower and looking down on the beautiful city, it was still, you know, packed with the energy of a seven-year-old. So it wasn't, it wasn't exactly what I had envisaged uh, when I booked this holiday at the turn of the year. But still, as I said, uh, memories forever. So uh, a great, great week, really, oh, for the Lions. Fantastic. I haven't done an awful lot of work. I, I did get dug into a manuscript when I came home, which is unusual for me because I'm quite lazy in that regard. But I've started on a, a a new Lenny Moon novella, which will be the... I released one last month, okay, the yeah. novella, the whatever happened next. So Lenny's next chapter then, which is going to be in novella form. I think there's going to be maybe five or six of those books. Excellent. There could be more. Of, of a little mini series I'm, I'm getting dug into that i'm having a horrible fucking time with the alex ferguson tv oh, no. treatment i know i had a little rant with you rob <laughs> before we hit record but just trying to track down these producers so just i mean i don't want to call them rude because i'll probably end up working with them one day but they just have so I much on their rude. plate that reply rude dickheads you can call them rude. that's what we'll yes. call them I, <laughs> real dickheads but just too, too much on their plate i think that even returning an email is just beyond them so um i'm getting really annoyed by the process it's taken but um we'll see we'll see where it leads uh in some time but i was warned not to get into tv because of this uh it doesn't suit my uh the lack of patience i have naturally but um i'll continue working on it because all the main work has gone into it everything's on the page and we'll see where we get uh, in, in a few weeks' time, and I'll, I'll keep our listeners up to date with that. So what was it you wanted to talk about before we get into the main There's just a couple point? of bits of like book-related news that, that propped up while we were both on holiday. So we probably would have spoken about them Whilst we were like, on the show. Obviously, we pre-recorded a show, didn't we, about the seven questions. So I just thought we'd talk about them now. If, they, yes. if our listeners would like us to talk about them in more detail, maybe we could you know focus an episode around them. Um first bit of news sure. was one that was interesting for me um probably more so if it was that ingram spark have now removed the upload fees and the um the oh, that's right changes like if you make any changes to your manuscript and you re-upload it there used to be a fee for that as well they've now removed all of those now the reason why i'm saying that it's more thing for me was i was yeah. i never really joined ali so which is the alliance of independent authors which you obviously a big proponent of but I joined them because for the eighty ninety pound a year, you got unlimited uploads with Ingram. So now I'm yeah. interested in knowing, like, for me personally, what more can Ali offer me? I'm going to do some due diligence for myself because it paid for itself outright within within right. a couple of weeks. Um, but now that Ingram don't have that yeah. upload thing, I'm quite interested to know what they're what they're planning to offset Benefits. the cost for them because they have to make money, right? So oh, what is yes. the, the impact yeah. of that? So mm-hmm. I just thought that was something that was relatively interesting. And we haven't really spoken about Ingram Spark a lot on the podcast. So I thought that was an interesting piece of yeah. news. Yes. We do have a guest from mm-hmm. Ali uh, due to come on the show in the summer. So we'll organize that okay. and we'll have a, a proper discussion of, with them about what Ali offer as benefits and why that £89 um, annual fee is worth it. So that, that yeah, will be coming okay. that's, soon. That's fantastic. Well, you know, again, we always say we learn a lot on this podcast ourselves. So that would be a, a real eye-opener for me. The other the yeah. other piece um, 
which I saw had sent a few people into an absolute panic, as they usually do, is I saw that um, I think Amazon are raising the price of Kindle Unlimited by a, an extra pound a month. Or, or an extra right. dollar yes, for, 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 for the members. Um, and the and yeah. that also goes hand in hand with their, um, I don't know if you received the email, you probably did, about the paperbacks, their print-on-demand service. It The cost of that are increasing um, in June. Um, yeah. So there's going to be probably people are going to have to hike up the price of their own paperbacks to, to you know, make whatever decision you've made of what you you deem an acceptable royalty on a paperback to be so there's been a little bit of panic in that that amazon are now taking money out of authors pockets which i i don't tend to agree that that's the case um if you think of how netflix yeah how much that's gone up over the last like five years it's like doubled in price for a price increase of a pound on kindle yeah. limited you kind of think that's that is coming um but yeah i just thought they were quite newsworthy pieces that impact us specifically as independent authors who use the platforms to to get our books out there yeah they do you will find with any sort of inkling of change uh, in the in the author world that mm-hmm. authors tend to panic yeah. it's it seems to be Williams because i think it's because we set ourselves up a certain way and then if something changes we have to evolve but that's really the reality of owning a business in the modern world everything is going to evolve how we advertise on facebook evolves mm-hmm. every couple of months you know the, the interface changes um even you know how we market how we advertise how we publish our books it's all going to change so if you want to go into this world you really have to be uh, prepared to adapt to Okay, Rob, it's time for the main talking point. Now, usually it's just you and I discussing our experiences of a a certain aspect of indie publishing. Today, that aspect is Uh book covers, which has been recommended or requested from a lot of our listeners. Um, But it's not just going to be you and I discussing it. We have got the king of the book cover on to join us today and that is a name you should be familiar with if you are an independent author Stuart Bache. Stuart thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, it's a pleasure absolute pleasure. Brilliant so you Stuart have worked with a, a number of prominent independent authors and indeed those even attached to some uh, publishing companies but can you give us a brief overview of your business what you do and perhaps even who you've worked with over the years? Yeah, sure. So um, I am currently uh, a freelance designer, technically. Um, I have been for about eight, eight nine years mm-hmm. uh, with my own company. Um, it's taken various forms. I had a team at one point, but um, I, I also have, I've, had a, I've got a young family, so it, it was uh, kind of trying to you know, balance all of those things. So mm-hmm. I ended up, uh, I'm now on my own. I'm solo again, um, which has worked out really well. Um, but um, I okay. worked in trad for 10 years or so. Um, I started off at Hodder and Stoughton. Um, I worked at Puffin Books uh, at Hop Collins. And um, I was art director at One World for a while as well. Um, and uh, and then I and I worked as a freelancer every now and again too throughout that time. So I I worked with places like Simon Schuster in the States and in the UK, um, little brand. So I've worked for probably almost every major publisher. Um, wow. And across almost every genre, um, I think. 
um, even misery memoirs, which are which were a massive thing about fifteen years ago. Um, which, right, yeah, yeah. yeah, they're terrible things. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, I, and so I've worked with I worked on the entire backlist of Stephen King, um, John Le Carre. Um, those uh, so the, the oh, bigger wow. author names that I, I worked with back in the day. Um, uh, cut my cut my teeth, I guess. That's what that's that's uh, on those uh, authors. And then I met Mark Dawson, um, which I'm sure everyone knows. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I worked with him um, in very, his very early days um, when he started with his John Milton books. And, um, and it was sort of like a, an, an alignment of planets. So when he started right, working on the course with James Blatch and then people like that on his, uh, on his courses, um, he got in touch with me and said, you know, we'd like to, you know, Add you as a bonus, you know, as one of the people that you can work with. You can work with my designer, that kind of thing. And also, if you would be interested in doing a little bit on the course, on the course itself about cover design. So that happened, and I signed a contract with a uh, small uh, indie publisher and to work all on their covers. And I became freelance, and I started working more and more with indie authors. Um, and it, it was about probably 2016, I think it was, uh, 2015, 26, no, 2015. So a lot of stuff was really, you know, really growing at that time. So I really felt like I hit it at the right time. Um, yeah. and, and I started to move away from trad design, uh, design um, and working with almost exclusively with indie authors. Um, so, you know, I've, I've, I've worked with LJ Ross. Um, I, I artwork most of their covers, um, rather than design them that they're illustrated by someone else and uh simon mccleave uh who's a big one mm-hmm. um gosh quite a lot obviously james blatch have done his covers too um yeah uh, uh who else have i got uh got quite a few on the list uh craig martell who do some of his covers too so you know some of the big uh indie uh authors uh, are on my list which is really cool um still do some for trad here and there but for the most part it's indie Oh wow! Yeah, that's wow. it's actually through Mark Dawson's course that I became aware of you, Stuart, and we've been big fans ever since. Have you any idea how many book covers you have designed at this stage? No idea. No thousands. Um, <laughs> thousands. I, thousands, thousands. Yeah, easily. Yeah. I, I mean, if you think about it, so you'll see one of my covers when it's published, but I might have designed. I usually do two or three concepts, but then ah. obviously. Uh, that can go up and up and up. Um, but when I worked mm-hmm. in trad, we'd work on a project for six to 12 months. So for one book. And so, you know, you might go through hundreds of covers just for that one book. Yeah. So adding wow. all those into is quite a few. Yeah. It's quite a few. Wow. I can't think I, can't, I couldn't so- even guess. <laughs> well, I think it's, a, it's safe to say like that was a phenomenal introduction and You've covered, I mean, you've been doing this for years. So when David did call you the king of the cover, I don't think he was doing you uh, an injustice. I think that was spot on. Yeah. Um, But considering all the places you've worked and all the authors you've worked for, I think it'd be good to kind of get under the hood with what goes into uh, designing a cover um, for our listeners. So can I ask you what are the fundamentals that you look at when it comes to designing a cover? Yeah, for me, I always call myself a sales-led designer. Um, so I'm mm-hmm. always thinking about what's working in the market. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that can be different per genre. So some genres are uh, have a, like trends that change every few years. Some, like say crime thriller, tend to be a bit more glacial. So you know, as you know, you know the the running man or the figure, you know, that in location that hasn't really changed for probably. 20, 30 years, maybe more. Um, and yeah. that's uh, because that works. It works. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, for, for me, uh, when I start thinking about design and, and when I uh, have an, a client write a brief for me, I always make sure that they give me visuals. So uh, comparative covers really work well for me. Um, I'm a mm-hmm. designer, so I'm visual. I think visually. Um, I... Um, so I think it, it helps both the client and myself um, to be on the same page, if you know what I mean. So I can see what, what they've got in their head based on the visuals that they're giving me. So, you know, as, a, as, a, as an author, you tend to read the things that you like writing. You know, that's, or you, should, you write the things that you like reading. Um, mm-hmm. So you have a better idea of what's working in that market probably than I do in some respects. Um, so you know when I when I ask for comparative covers, I, you know it has to be something that's working quite well at the, at the time um, with best-selling authors and known authors. That really helps. Um, and so yeah, that, that's a that's a big part of my uh, uh, briefing process. I have a thing that I call familiarity theory, which is I like to look at um, uh, uh, what's working at the at the time and in in the market, and that's. That's based on all of my experience working with sales um, uh, mm-hmm. in, in Trad um, and working with places like Waterstones and other uh, and Amazon and places like that. You know, it's um, it's how they sell. So when people walk around the bookshop or they're browsing through Amazon, they are often looking for a specific genre that they want to read at that time. So w- what really helps is um, uh, seeing tropes and um uh, that, that are familiar to them uh, and you know in places like waterstones they will have a table this is just an example but they have a table where they'll have in the middle like a best-selling crime novel and then around it they'll have very similar ones you know it's just re- very mm-hmm. rare that there'll be completely different genres around it and a lot of that is to do with you will like this you have bought this and you like this or you love it so you might like these ones around it and that's how I think in terms of design is that you are better off fitting in than you are standing out. Um, standout does work um, occasionally, but it's very rare. And I think for indie authors, especially when they're especially when they're starting out, um, it's better to try and figure out what's working and fit within that market than it is to just yeah. go. You know, I think it's a natural thing for most people to say, "I want to stand out from the competition." Because, you know, that's what you're taught. Yeah. You know, you're taught at school about things, you know, like when you're writing your CV for the first time, you want to stand out from everyone else. Um, and maybe that's true in that respect. When it comes to marketing something, whatever product it is, whether it's a book or detergent, it has to, you know, people are spending nanoseconds looking at these things. It has yeah. to impart the right information. If it's something that's, if it's a horror novel, but it looks like it's romance because you've made it all very pink and beautiful, then people are just going to over, overlook it because they're looking for a horror. So, you know, there's, there's sorts yeah. of things, you know, that I, um, I think are, are the most important aspects of book cover design. Yeah, Absolutely. you're dead right. It's um, there's an awful lot. Of, there's two real fundamental errors I think independent authors make when it comes to the book covers. One is 
they just don't really know what they're doing and they're making something up so the, the fonts don't fit and uh, with the image and everything's off. And the other is they think, I'm going to make something totally unique that nobody has seen before. That doesn't work either because, as you say, Stuart, you've emphasized there that you have to fit in to your, your genre. And that's key. It's it's not trying to look different. It's trying to be part of a genre. So having said that, what, what's the most important thing that and, and why is it so important that an author invests in their book covers? It sounds like a basic question to you, but um, so a lot of our listeners needs to hear this. Yeah, I, it's funny, actually. I do think, but from experience, I do think a lot of people neglect the cover aspect. I think maybe it's the price. I think, um, yeah. I also think new authors tend to have an idea that their books will be the thing that sells it. Their, their words, you know, the story is the thing yeah. that will sell the book, but no one's going to see that story, you know, and and unless you're someone who's semi-famous or famous who can just say, I've written a book and it doesn't matter what the cover looks like, um, yeah. it's going to be a real tough uh, uh, sell. But I think people, weirdly, uh, and it hasn't happened recently, but I do, in a very, very beginning of my, of my indie career, as it were, um, uh, and working one-on-one with authors, which is, you know, very rare in trad. It's very rare you're even allowed to to look at an author, you know, you're kind of told to avert your eyes if they walk into a room because you're not important. (laughs) Um, But, you know, working with clients and being one-on-one, you know, I did notice at the very beginning, there's a lot of people who, it was just like, I was, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, and uh, my words will be the thing. And um, yeah, so, I mean, book covers are important, um, obviously. And um, I think, it's good to have, it's good to work with a professional designer um, or, or someone that at least has a certain amount of experience in design and therefore, or, and working maybe branding or products or has enough experience that they can look at the project and say, okay, what do I need to do? I need to fit this into a market. Um, I think, you know, with the rise of places like 99designs and places like that, I think, um, it was a good start in some respects for some authors who can't really afford to work with a pro to work with a pro on somewhere like 99 designs um, and have something that looks half decent. Unfortunately, most of the time they're not people who have worked with publishing or with uh, branding or even thinking of how to sell a product. So sometimes those covers aren't so great, but you know, everyone has to learn, I guess. And, And they have to start from somewhere. Um, and over time, you know, I've, I've had a lot of authors who, um, cause I do, um, I have done over time and people have sort of got in touch and said, look, I can't really afford cover at the moment, but would you have, can I have a consultation with you? And so, I'll, you know, I'll spend an hour with them and talk, look at their covers and I'll just say, look, I think this is good, but this isn't working and you should go in this direction. And here are some other authors. That I think that you could really emulate and you might do better that way. Um, uh, but I, I have to say that, um, that even with the best cover in the world, if you had, and you could, you know, there's some fantastic designers out there uh, at the moment, there's, you know, illustrated and very aesthetic looking book covers are really in at the moment. You could work with some fantastic illustrators, but if you don't get the blurb right and you don't get the marketing right, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. So, you know, you're once again, you're at that stage yeah. where, you know, 
you know, same as like, oh, my words will sell it. And then you say, oh, my cover will sell it. That's just not going to happen. So, you know, it's all still, it's still about how you, the, the effort that you put in the marketing and the, and the blurb as well. People, it is a known fact. And we've done a lot of research when I worked in trad, we spent a long time on it, looking at how people right. buy books and the cover still wow. is the thing that will grab you. But what sells it tends to be the blurb. So in a store, we notice people flip into the back or reading the blurb on the flap. On Amazon, you see people um, reading, you know, so they like click uh, using those sort of click things, you know, where you sort of see where their mouse goes and that kind of thing. And it tends to be that they start reading first and then that's what sells it. So, yeah, yeah, you know, best book cover in the world, still not going to sell your book necessarily, but it's a good starting point because a bad book will certainly not help. <laughs> bad bad yeah. book covers, for the say. So true. It's true. It's, it's it's like, but I think the point you made there is really good. That it's not, it, it's your book cover isn't just going to sell the book, but it's one of the like if you have like pillars of what you need to have in like place to sell a book to make it successful, a cover is one of the main ones. Because like you said, I think that's the thing that will draw someone in. So that's your first thing. So if that's not looking good, then you're not going to draw people in, which means you're not going to get any sales. Um, that's great. There's a couple of there's a couple of things that we've we've touched on, um, and I'm like living sort of proof of it. Is I didn't spend a lot of money on my covers when I started out. I had a friend who was a graphic designer. He wasn't a book cover designer who made me. I'd say the first four, maybe five covers in my Sam Pope series, and they they were good. They were really good, like pieces of graphic work, but they were like sort of like city landscapes with a cool font and my name, and they they did a job. But the second I made enough. Um, on royalties i reinvested and get, got them done and i just sent comparables like you said to my designer of like mark dawson lee child all these and the second i started getting them rebranded into the correct so instead of standing out they just fell in line with the other ones my sales exploded because they started to look better they looked indistinguishable so you know it, you understand it, and I think David and I understand it. But for our listeners, is how important is it that authors understand like the impact genre has on the cover? Because I can imagine, like you said, if people want to stand out and they don't want you to say put a cover of a woman in a red coat walking away from like a, an abandoned house, but they need to sort of understand why you would go down that that avenue. Yeah, I think it's very important. Um I think, I think it's interesting. I have clients who don't give me a huge amount of information. So Mark, no. for example, Mark Dawson will literally send me and has always sent me, this is the location. This is, you know, what's happening a little bit, just not even, not even an entire brief. And I can work something up for him. And I probably only ever designed one concept for him now. And it's almost always accepted. And then I have clients who will just pour their heart and soul and express what the meaning is that they're trying to express through the cover. And it's very difficult for me because I'm a nice guy and I want to say no one cares. No one cares about your feelings. No one cares about what you're trying to convey from the cover. No one will know. And it's it, so, you know, I've, had, I've even had conversations today <laughs> with clients <laughs> who say, you know, I think this aspect should, you know, be completely changed, this minute aspect. 
and they're tweaking all these little bits and pieces, and that doesn't matter. It's not going to sell you any more books, those tweaks. The cover's fine as it is. I don't feel like I can always say that because it sounds like I'm being mean, but um, yeah. But I think what, what, what people do is that they're, they're putting too much emotion into it and they're so close to it, which I, actually I understand, you know. As a designer, you know, I'm someone who has spent a long time, you know, working on my style and my, you know, trying to, I, I hate it when people reject my work, you know. I hate it when people say that's not good enough or that's not whatever. Um, and that's the same for an author. You're working on something, it's your baby, and you're very close to it. So when you've got ideas for what you want for the cover, and you might even think, I think this is within the genre, but um, often it isn't. I think it's really clear, actually. It's a very, very simple idea, which is genre matters, the tropes matter, be simple, just look at those things, and we'll emulate those things. And over time, when those trends change, or your book isn't selling as well at the moment, or your series, then start looking at what's working then. You know, that's what the beauty of familiarity theory is that it's continually evolving and it changes over time. Like I say, sometimes quickly, sometimes glacially. Um, and take yourself out of it. That's a very difficult thing yeah. to get people to do because people don't know how to do that. I'm used to it. I do things like I literally I'll leave because I've got two screens here. So I'll leave a cover up on my screen, um, a couple of concepts and I'll walk out and, you know, make a coffee or go sort the kids out, whatever, come back and I'll look at it fresh and I'll think, okay, is this working or not? And that's what you have to do. You've got to remove yourself from it. Uh You know, I'm, I'm working on a project today and I'm really struggling to kind of think of a concept for it. And, and, um, and that's that's the and and I know that I have to remove myself from it because I'm trying to so you know that's that's the that's the issue I think we get into is when people are refusing to kind of get into genre because you know because they're really close to it and I that's the it's a really hard aspect to try and get I think the most successful authors I work with the most successful clients I have understand the genre because they're even writing to genre in some respects yeah mm-hmm. so they already understand the market and so they know that that's what they have to do i think it seems to be more newer people people who are still sort of make you know treading gently into the uh, or even yeah. jumping straight into the indie world um i think there's always an idea of what you should be doing and should should how you should work um, just very quickly, there is another element to this, which is that some people have only ever really experienced working with designers in a sort of service department way. So, in a you know, th- this is not nothing against service departments at all, but I think people treat designers sometimes. I certainly get treated sometimes in a way that is, um, you're here to do what I'm asking you to do. Yeah, you know, so I'm right. hiring you for making me a book cover design. This is what I want. So I expect you to do that. Um, and I, 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 you know, that's just wrong, you know, but that, that is how some people treat and have treated designers over the years. I do think it's getting yeah. better, especially in the indie mm. community as it's growing, you know, since the communities have started forming on places like Facebook and, you know, all those sorts of places and podcasts like you guys, you know, where everyone's communicating more and you're talking about these sorts of things and people are learning from it. I think early on, you know, I mean, there's always been indie authors, but, you know, there's a massive boom, you know, 10 years or so ago. 
I think at the beginning people were, you know, trying to figure out, figure things out. And I think actually it's, 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 I find the, the uh, harder authors, the harder clients, much, there, there are fewer of them these days, I think, because people tend to understand what you need to do, you know. Sorry, I, I, yeah. I, I could talk about this forever, so I'm sorry if I'm just waffling <laughs> on. No, it's fascinating. It's absolutely it's fascinating. great information. It really is. I was actually going to ask you on, on a, a particular point that you just raised there, Stuart. You're right. In, in the indie author community, there is a, a whole spectrum of authors, um, those who are much more experienced and understand what's required from uh, people like you or services uh, such as yours that you offer. And then there are those who are starting out, as you just mentioned, they jump in and they're not quite sure what to ask for, what to look out for, what even a book cover designer is supposed to offer them up so if i was a prospective client of yours Stuart, and i was looking to get my books um designed by you where where would you ask or what would you recommend an independent author offers up to you as a prospective client you mentioned earlier on that comparative covers can be key for you that's one of the big things that somebody should come to you prepared with yeah um i in my briefing form is quite simple is it is based on trad briefing forms because that's what i'm used to but it's also i I feel like the best uh so it's sort of more salient information the most important information so obviously the you know title author name subtitle that kind of thing that's very you know let's throw away really that's what you expect i ask for a short sort of blurb length synopsis i don't need the book i don't need the manuscript or anything i just need enough basically the information that a potential reader would have that's what i want because that's what that's what they're good that's how people are going to see it the first time around um you know uh, important locations um character details what they look like that kind of thing um once again, it doesn't really matter too much, but it does help. You know, I've been designing some books recently and it was only after I sent the concepts through that they said, oh, he's bald, by the way. And I was like, these guys I've got on the cover got full length, <laughs> you know, full head of hair. Well, that, that would have been really helpful. You know, you did tell me yes. how tall he was, but I didn't know he was bald. So, you know, um, uh, so little things like that. But then, you know, I always say, yes. you know, comparative covers, I need to know that, you know, it's a good visual guide for me. Uh, yeah. And that, that's it, really. That's it. That's, it's really simple, very small amount of information, really, to go from. Brilliant. But um, I do think that that's what works the best because that's how potential readers are going to come to your stuff. They don't know anything about your book. So I don't really want to yeah. know. I don't need to know the ins and outs. Um, I do know designers, um, well-known designers, who constantly like to say, I love this book. I read this book. I went through the whole thing. I read it twice. I, I couldn't stop reading it, and I'm so glad that I can design the cover for this. And I think two things. One, you're a liar, probably a liar, uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah. I should say. And two, um, you haven't got enough work on, but if you can actually have time to yes. read the book before you're designing the cover. Or you're a speed yeah, it doesn't reader, make any cool. sense. It doesn't make no sense yeah, at all. And also, no I, don't, I don't think it would make any difference to how good the cover would be, ultimately, uh-huh. if you're a good designer. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, anyway, yeah. So a little, a little information is absolutely fine. Perfect. Yeah. And I also think, yeah, you said you, you need to have that open mind that you're being guided by your by a professional or an expert. So when you go back to earlier that yeah. you're, you you might have in your head what you want, but actually you should listen to your designer. <laughs> That's what I do. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to some degrees, yeah, I, I, I almost like 99% agree. I think 
I always say there's a balance with a, a good designer, and that is, you know, our ego is on one side, and what we used to call Mac Monkey is on the other side. So, you know, you do everything that you're told to do. I'll do what I want to do. And it's the middle. That's uh-huh. the best designer is in the middle. Someone who is has enough experience to say, I think this is a bad idea, and you know, and and this is what I think will work best. But at the same time, you know, going along with a client and trying to match them sort of halfway sometimes works. I think, um, but on the whole, yeah, trust your designer. But the, the trouble is, is that some designers are like, no, yeah. this is mine. You know, this is my design, yeah. and you will listen to what I'm saying, and that's just not, you know, it just doesn't work that way sometimes. And but yeah, on the whole, you're right. Perfect. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, so Stuart, um, I'm just going to say we've we've obviously been picking your brains now for nearly half an hour. So before we let you go, um, I do just want to ask you to what over your years of experience and thousands of covers and and hundreds of authors, what are some of the biggest um, pitfalls or like pet peeves you've come across working with authors? Essentially, I want like a little list for our listeners uh, of like what not to do. <laughs> what not to do. <laughs> Oh gosh! Um, gosh, that's a hard one. You don't, actually, you don't need to be um, polite. <laughs> they can't find you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Well, they might might do. Um, uh, no, I, I think um, I think people. Yeah, that's a difficult one. Actually, I think getting your. Um, I can't design what's in your head. I can't see it. Mm-hmm. So I ask for visuals. Um, there's no such thing as the perfect cover, so get over it. Mm-hmm. As you can't, you know, I can. There is a, always a point. I'm trying to think of a term at the moment for it because it happens frequently. But there's a point where no, ma- there's you know, no matter how many tweaks we make to a cover, it's not going to sell any more books. Mm-hmm. Once it reaches yeah. a point, that's it. There's no, there's a sort of saturation point. It's not going to do anything differently. Um, I think be nice. I have worked with lots of people who are not necessarily very nice. Um, don't tell a person your, um, uh, don't tell your designer that their work is shit. Um, I'm sorry if I said that. Um, or that, um, have you read, can you read? That's one of the things that I've been told. Um, um, uh, that kind of thing. I have a zero um, tolerance policy. So as soon as someone says anything like that to me, that's it. Project's over. We're not going any further with that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I won't be spoken yeah, to about that. And um, uh, uh, gosh, um, credit your designer. Um, no one credits their designer. Very rarely. Um, it was more more a trad thing than it is in indie. But it's very rare that someone says, "This was just, you know, here's my book. It's been launched. It's a great cover. By the way, the designer was." Um, um, not it's not because they want or we want extra work, but it's just nice to be credited, you know. Um, Can I ask you, Stuart, where I thank my designer in the acknowledgments? I'm, I'm just wondering, is there a preferred place in 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 the book? Well, so in trad publishing, the credit would go on the back cover. Uh, it would say okay. cover designed by Stuart Bage, um, or it could go in the uh, copyright information at the front. Cover designed by X and Y. Um, what's really interesting, actually, is that I used to do that. I used to put my credit on the back because that was just natural for me. Was I was putting the paper back together, 
Um, that's what I've always been, I've always done. Um, but lots and lots of clients were like, could you take your name off the back, please? Like, I like it to be clean. Uh, and I've never really understood it, but then I've, I've actually stopped. So I stopped like eight years ago because people seem to have such a thing about it. So, um, yeah, uh, usually it would be uh, on the back cover. Um, with, because also the other thing is you should really um, have your um, copyright information of the images that have been used. So it should say things yeah. like, you know, um, cover image, brackets, figure, copyright, should stock, whatever. Um, but people don't like it. Indies don't like it for some reason. I don't know why. But, um, yeah, it's sort of, as long as that's not my job anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> if you don't credit it, it's Real. not my fault. Nice. Well, that's interesting to hear, actually, from a designer. Um, Stuart, you've given us a half an hour of your time. I really appreciate it. Um mm this morning thanks very much uh, we no should let our, our listeners know it's bookscovered.co.uk have a look at that website and just look at the amount of world-class uh covers that Stuart has designed over the years I, I wouldn't even have to look at your website to know you're a world-class designer Stuart I would just look at the background of the <laughs> shot I can see right now I think uh, does does he win Rob, is that the best background we've had from any guest on the show? Oh, yeah, by, by far. We've, we've had some amazing man caves, but I think this is the this is the smartest office I've seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Stuart well, is winning, definitely. You have no so idea how much stuff has been hidden outside <laughs> of that door. You... Oh, brilliant. <laughs> it's all squashed up on, in the hallway. It's bookscovered.co.uk. Stuart, on, on a personal level, thanks for all of the great designs that you have uh, conceived mm. over the past decade or so. I'd also like to thank you for getting involved in the, in the author community. I see you popping up answering questions in different groups, particularly in Mark Dawson's groups and beyond, uh, and helping people out with the covers, even though you're not getting any payment for that, just to helping out the in the order community. We really appreciate yeah. it. Thanks so much. Yeah, no problem. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a joy. I could have chatted for another hour or so. I can spend a day talking about this stuff. So, yeah, any, no, no problem at all. It's been an absolute pleasure. Two David, we've come. To the mailbag, I don't want you to feel sad. It's a question that's been sent to us. Will you answer, please? Wow, that's a great <laughs> melody. Now, you haven't stolen that melody. You just made all that up. I, I, that's definitely. I See, I wrote, I, I came up that melody as a boy. And then as I went from a boy to a man, I thought that ah. that was the time to share it with everyone. <laughs> wow, that's a, you, you should be getting paid big dollars for that money. Are you sure you didn't rub that? I, I definitely, definitely didn't. And, you know, if okay. I did, then it's the end of the road for me. Well, just a coincidence. You'll probably win. You'll probably win the lawsuit in the courts like Ed Sheeran did last week. So you'll be fine. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but David, we do have a question uh, this week that's been sent in to us from Pauline Roosh. I want to hopefully I've said that name correctly. Roosh, Roosh. Oh, I think I think it's just Rush. Rush. With Pauline R-U-S-H-E. Pauline, sorry, we're butchering your, your surname <laughs> It looks simple to me, but I think Rob's just made a whole hash of it. But we'll we'll reach out to you and find out how you pronounce it. Pauline Rush or Rush or U S H G. Thanks for your question. Thank you so much. And the question is: You both mentioned you've been wide at some point in your careers. What was mm -hmm. the experience like, and why did you return to Amazon exclusive? David, I'll shoot that to you uh, first. 
Well, my answer is pretty simple, Pauline. And um, yeah, I went wide about, it was in the middle of COVID, so it was probably three years ago. And I oh. only went wide, I would say, for about 90 days for three months. And I'll give you a very simple black and white answer to that, Pauline. I went wide because morally I wanted my eggs Uh in as many baskets as possible. What I found was after three months, I wasn't earning as much money from my wide sales as I was through my Kindle Unlimited subscription. So Uh I went back to being exclusive with Amazon. I also found that a little bit too difficult to juggle all the platforms, even though I used draft to digital to upload to many platforms, I still had to advertise to each and every platform that my book was on. And I just, I I just was losing my way. And I just thought, well, listen, I was earning great money being exclusive at Amazon through KU and through marketing to just one platform. So I went back. So that's really my experience. And yours was something similar, Rob. Yeah, mine was probably like 80% the same. So I, I went wide twice. But I did the second time was, was, a, was a lot briefer. Um, same thing with you. Ultimately, I had um, two main reasons. One was um, the money. It started off really well. I went with a loss leader, which we've spoken about in previous episodes where I had the yeah. first book in the series for free and it did really well for a few months because I saw um sales through to the next book's fine it was after a couple of months that um that kind of tailed off a little bit and then it was a case of right i'm having to try and have it and i went direct i didn't even go um draft to digital i was direct with all five main platforms so i had to try and figure out how to promote across all five and oh me it came down to a i was i wasn't making as much money as i was before and this was the first time I did it properly when you did it was back in during yeah. COVID. So you think of time wise, I had a full time job. We were living in a pandemic crisis and I just had a newborn child. And I yes. also only had five books and one novella. So I do think now I've said, I think I've said to you before, David, I've got like an itch to try and do it again, which would be probably a bit mad considering I now rely on my Amazon income for income. Um, so maybe further down the line, but my, but my one was with you was, it was really the time constraints um, of juggling it all and trying to build readership across five platforms was just such a big undertaking. And when I was losing money doing it, it just seemed to me like the, the sensible thing to do. And it turns out it was because I'm now full time was to go back to Amazon and focus uh, all my efforts on building my readership there. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not all doom and gloom. I'm tempted to go back wide as well. I think... I'd be better placed to go wide than you, Rob, because you, are, are you still getting 60,000-ish page reads a day on your KU? Like, like 60 to 80, yeah. Yeah, I'm th- I'm only getting uh, less. Th- I'm getting less than 20,000 a day. I used and to then, get about 60 and 80,000. Now I'm getting about 18,000 a day. And um, so I'm tempted to go wide again. Pauline, there are great benefits to it. I think one of the best benefits is, me and Rob, you, we used to share screenshots of this. It gives you a global map of art and mm. and when you're wide and it tells you where you're selling books and you could be selling books in countries you haven't even heard of before so that's that's quite a decent benefit um again just to round out this question point if you're earning healthy money from ku i wouldn't be overly tempted to go wide uh, unless your morals are digging at you um but like me if your ku page reads have sunk and mine have sunk in the last 
five months or so since uh, the end of last year. Um, it may be well worth the gamble. Actually, funny enough, Pauline says this. I actually put the Alex Ferguson book wide this week. I don't know why I haven't oh, well. done that before because that, that's not going to benefit from page reads. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's not leading. It's not one book leading to another where you get lots of read through. So I put that wide this week and I will keep our listeners again up to date how that goes over the next few weeks, especially you, Pauline. Thanks for the question. Only in Roosh. Roosh, Roosh. <laughs> Two in the Okay, Rob, it's now time for the eagerly awaited part uh-huh. of the show, which is the seven questions. And we have a fascinating, really interesting archaeological thriller writer, D.G. Parma, on the line with us today. Um, D.G., it stands for, the D stands for Desmond. We know you've introduced yourself to us all fair. Desmond, thank you yeah. so much yeah. for uh, taking time to be on the, the two in the orders this morning. No problem. Anytime. I'm glad to be here. Oh, great. Well, well it's, it's our pleasure. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about your books? Well, yeah. Um, started off writing some fantasy thrillers, um, adventures. Uh, got a trilogy of those. Uh, then I decided to switch because it wasn't really going well. So I switched to mm-hmm. archaeological ah, okay. thrillers, stroke action adventure. Um, so anything if you like action adventure movies Indiana Jones Lara Croft Uncharted those kind of films nice yeah yeah lots of chasing lots of guns shooting that's it and a bit of uh, that sounds great and that's your um, protagonist is Natasha Travers yes Natasha Travers and her ex-husband Lucas Redmond oh Lucas Redmond I like those names Natasha Travers all the um what's it assonance there's a lot of assonance in that name I love it um brilliant so are you ready Des to face the seven questions I am I am ready yeah cool let's go then I will go first okay question number one Desmond are you a Mm full-time author no, not yet. I am a part-time author working full-time on London Underground. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, when you sent oh, your nice. message this morning, I was fast asleep. <laughs> oh, I woke you up this morning. No, 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 no. I slept through it. <laughs> Very heavy sleeper. <laughs> good, good. Relief, relief. Oh, so you're working on the Underground uh, in the daytime, and then you, you write in the evenings, do you, when you, when you get a chance? Yeah, with the shift work, you get breaks and stuff. So this week, I'm starting work at 5 p.m., finish at 1 a.m. So during the day, I do some writing. Uh, next week, I'll be starting work at 5 a.m., finishing at 1 p.m. So I'll be doing a bit of writing after that, if I can stay awake. Oh, nice. But Trying yeah. to get it in Hopefully when you can. Years, that I'll sounds, uh, yeah. Fantastic. Brilliant. Yes. Oh, so your ambition is to become a full-time author? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Okay, well, let's get under the hood a little bit, Des, to see how the decisions you have made since you have been um, publishing your own books. Um, question two of the seven questions is, have you decided to be wide or exclusive with Amazon for your ebooks? I am exclusive. Mm. Um, right. I've tried wide. 
didn't really work out. <laughs> ah, we can, we can ditto that on this podcast. Yes, yeah. we've been there. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll give it another try. Um, maybe later on. And I'm looking to do audio books uh, later on in the year. So oh, okay. I'll probably put those out wide. Great. Yeah, not a big decision to be made when those audios are produced. Quick question number three, Des, is name the one service you use as an indie author that you cannot do without. One service I can do without. This one was a toughie. <laughs> There's so many stuff. So many stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be cheeky here. Go on. Go for it. I'm going to say the internet. Yeah. <laughs> internet. Yes, because well, let it listen to it. It's it, it's it's it gives you access to the community. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, I've had a lot of help from other authors, even in the same same genre, and it, it's it's very welcoming. You know, you may be writing in the same same genre, in the same charts, but they will still help you. Yeah. You know? Um. Now, Ernest Dempsey, he's USA Today best-selling author. I reached out to him, and he sent me a personal message, gave me his number as well. So he's kind of like a mentor. So wow. um, everybody's helpful. You, know? you go in the Facebook communities, you put in a question, they'll help you. you know? Yeah. It's not competitive. No, That's so it's true. I love it. It's in great. an industry you would imagine is competitive, it just yeah. isn't, and everybody's willing to to help everybody out. And I I echo your um, the one thing you couldn't do without being the internet, because frankly, if we were to advertise our books in with posters on the underground and hoping that somebody might <laughs> might call us up to order one of our books, yeah. <laughs> we'd be selling very very few books. So yeah, the internet is absolutely key. Yeah, and you'd be Mark Dawson. <laughs> exactly, that would be it. That would be it. Um, question four, Desmond, is how do you market your books? Uh, Facebook. Facebook ads is my go-to thing. Um, I also use a, a service called uh, Book Sweeps. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I use that to build up my, my uh, book bub following. And my email list, and they've started doing the clicks to your Amazon author page as well, which is what I need really, because kind of messed up a little story. I messed up with the a pre-order. I missed the date. Oh no! They banned me. Oh no! So um, yeah, yeah. That's all good. It's all good. Yes, with the book sweeps, I was still able to boost up my Amazon following. So when I released the book, it still got quite a big bump. Oh, great. So, yeah, book sweeps. Oh. Interesting. Book sweeps. Okay. One for, one for the notes. Yeah, I don't think I've ever really looked at book sweeps. So that's why for... Yeah, I'll, I'll check that out, definitely. Yeah, it's worth a try. You have to get in there quick, though. <laughs> you have to get in there quick. Right, interesting. Um, like once, yeah, yeah, it's very good. I was <laughs> they uh, they come out every, they renew their list every two three months, 
Okay. And I was working one day and when it came out. I was on my phone trying to sign up to it, sign up, and it wouldn't go through. By the time I got home, it was all full. So, yeah, I up now. Interesting. It's all good. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so, question five, Des, is what's the one thing you know now that you wish you knew from the outset? Ooh. Don't stop writing. Yeah. Uh, every moment you get, mm-hmm. traveling, you go and have a coffee, just carry a little notebook around with you, you know? <laughs> or even on your phone. I use my iPad with me in my little pouch, jotting down stuff all the time. Nice. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's one of the big tips that Rob is always and passing on, is that your next book is, is um, yeah. really where your energy should be going. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, it's true. It's true. It sure is. And it's a, it's, it's a great tip, really, because so many people just release their first book and assume that that will, um, you know, open the door to full time authorship for them. And it's just really not how it works at all. Um, but we bring you on to question uh, number six, uh, Desmond, which is what's the biggest frustration for you as an independent author? Amazon ads. <laughs> yes. <laughs> convictions Amazon ads oh god um I can't get it to work <laughs> but um I'm writing three um three books at the moment oh wow mm. we're gonna release them over yeah from Ernest when I started the thriller stuff you should have said I should have done it as a rapid release so books three four and five will be rapid released and after that, I've got to take a little break and do some studying. Uh, I've got um, I've got the Mark Dawson's ads for author stuff, and I've got mm-hmm. the Matthew J. Holmes as well. Great. Um, I'm using the Matthew J. Holmes for the Facebook ones. I find it more easy to understand, to be honest. I don't know why. Uh, right, yeah. <laughs> we all learn differently. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Absolutely, we do. Um, so, yeah, I, after August, I'll be studying that. <laughs> um, I will say about the Amazon ads on Mark Dawson's um, course, I believe it's recently, I, when I say recently, within the last year or two, it got revamped with Janet Margot, who used to be like the head of Amazon ads or something. Oh, yeah. And since I started listening to her yeah. um, and I did some of the stuff she um, preachers you should do i got my amazon ads to start working so i would put faith in the stuff that janet margot says on those courses so yes worth worth yes. going through them yeah excellent, excellent. Um, okay rob last question that's what i'll be doing right last question is what's the one piece of advice you would pass on to our listeners <laughs> Don't be afraid. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Um, when I was switching from one genre to another, people were saying that you would lose some followers. And... Yeah, you just have to be brave. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and don't stop learning. It's a job that you always be learning, always learning. That's such a great. If it's craft. 
such a great point to raise, Desmond, because it's the the learning is ongoing. Whether you've sold ten million books, one million, a hundred thousand, or a thousand, or one hundred books, the yeah. learning is constant because the internet that you said is your uh, one service you cannot do without. That's constantly evolving. How we socialize yeah. with people through the internet. So it just exactly. we will never be fully learned in this game. No, 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 no. And everything's changing. <laughs> yeah. Technology's changing. Look at the chat GP. Yeah. They don't have started using that for research. Exactly. Uh-huh. There you are. Oh, you're on already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, um, with archaeological thrillers and adventure writing, you, you write about areas that you can't really go to. You know? yes. I mean, in the first book, it's set in, in Mosul. I'm not going to take a flame and go to most. Ah, yes. Um, so if I could use ChatGP and, and Google Earth to do my research, yeah, it makes life a lot easier. That would yeah. probably be my question, my, my answer next year if I was back. <laughs> ChatGP. ChatGP. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I mean, your books look fantastic, Desmond. They really yeah. do. The Cursed Treasure is amongst them. Um, you write in with the surname Desmond G. Palmer and D.G. Palmer. The Cursed Treasure, as I mentioned. The Eye yeah. of Nineveh. Is that how that's pronounced? Yeah. Nineveh? Nineveh. Nineveh. Lovely. <laughs> well, Desmond, thank you so much. We really yeah. appreciate you taking the time to be with us this morning. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. And you kept up having uh, an Irish man on the show. <laughs> yes. I know Desmond's an Irish name. <laughs> and my editor's from Galway. So, yeah, there you go. There's a connection. You've broken the trend. <laughs> Desmond G. Parma, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me, man. Well, David, uh, back to normality this week with seven questions after our um, our pre-recorded one last week. And it was wonderful again to speak to another independent author. And um, Desmond was, was just wonderful to speak to, wasn't he? Yeah, another gentleman. Absolutely. Just, I mean, I'm probably getting the listeners will be tired of hearing me say this or you and I saying this, but another great person a, a very mm-hmm. genuine person and um, doing the very best with some fantastic books so we, yeah we're wishing desmond uh all the best for his future endeavors yeah it's brilliant um so a big a big thank you to to desmond also we should do a, a big thank you to stuart base for joining us on today's episode um I mean, a font of knowledge on a really important topic for indie authors. So I really hope that our listeners, you know, got a lot of information out of it and hopefully made some notes and will, you know, know what they're doing, um, approaching slightly differently going forward. Yeah, I really do hope so. I have a couple of bugbears as an independent author. Um, one is around pricing. I really don't like um, mm-hmm. how a lot of, an awful lot of indies have been almost pressured into giving stuff away for free or for 99p and they're wondering mm-hmm. why they're not making money um and another one is just bad book covers yeah they don't they, they, they don't work they don't work for you as an author and they certainly um don't help with the reputation of self-published or independent authors uh, such as you and i rob no absolutely not so yeah great episode david we're ready to go what are you going to be uh, doing this week before i speak to you next I'm hoping to be really creative over the next week. I will get some words down for this follow-up novella. I'm going to do a novella series, as I I mentioned Mm -hmm. on the show a couple of weeks ago. I just hope in that regard I can get a book out maybe every 10 or 12 weeks, Rob. 
and mm-hmm. you know have a series that will get the read through that you get inspired by the yeah. read through that you get um, so I'm going to be working on that. I'm also working on the screenplay for the Alex Ferguson thing, but it's doing my fucking head in at the moment. Uh, so I'm not overly happy with that. Um, but, you know, fortunes can change on on the flick of a dime as they do in this game. So, you know, this time next week, I could be celebrating something that we've absolutely <laughs> that yeah. I wasn't even expecting. And that's how it goes. What about you over the next seven days before we talk again? I'm just straight into next Sam Pope book. Um I want to get a good five, six chapters done, I think, really get into the meat of it. Um, I've put my deadline right. in with Emma for um, June, some point in June, so I can have it out in July. Um, so, yeah, just going to go straight into writing next week, I think. Brill, brill. Okay, well, I would wish you the best of luck with your writing, but whereas I need that, you don't really, because you're much more disciplined than me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, enjoy. Enjoy the rest of the week. And thanks to all our listeners again. You've been listening to... Dum 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 d